Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Amen. Do we serve a good God or what? Amen. You may be seated. Let me slow the pace down for a second. It is Psalm 34 that says, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praises shall continuously be in my mouth. My soul shall make a boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Anybody come to magnify Jesus today? Amen. It is good to be here. Good to be gathered with the body of Christ, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, I I promise y'all we got a lot of work to do in a short amount of time to do it in. And we have another service. I'm going to jump right in. Grab your Bibles or whatever contains the word of God for you and meet me in Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Hey, real quick, December 1st. Somebody say December 1st. That is the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and uh, we're going to do something a little different in our service. We're having something called Epiph Rewind. Basically, what it is, is it's an it's a upside-down service. It's a reverse service. In other words, I'm going to be preaching at the, the top of the service, and then we'll move into communion and move into worship. But the, the hope is, is that in a season of gratitude, in a season of Thanksgiving, we want to give uh, thanks to God by worshiping God. So we'll spend most of our time just worshiping in this place. And God has been really good to us. You know, this time of the year starts to be reflective for me. I start to think back on uh, how he's kept me through dangers, as the old saints would say, dangers seen and unseen. And, you know, that'll be a time, that'll be a day that we could really start to reflect on God by just worshiping God. And so I'm going to get the sermon in, in the beginning. Let me say this to all of you who are late. Uh, You'll miss the sermon. I know some of y'all are like, I don't care, it ain't that, that big of a deal for me, but you'll miss the sermon if you're not here for the first part of that service. Uh, can we thank God for Kiara Shear being with us today? Amen. Such a blessing to the body of Christ. Um, I'm honored to have her here, and if I can be honest with you, um, those of you who know me know that she's literally one of my favorite singers in the world, literally is. In fact, uh, a couple months ago, I jumped on a flight and headed to Detroit and got to spend um, some time uh, with her and at her um, her live recording. She did a live recording at her church in Detroit, and it was phenomenal. The only thing she was missing was your boy on tenor. That's it. It's the only thing she was missing. <laughs> Somebody said, prove it? You want me to prove it? That's not my ministry, okay? I'm going to stay in my lane. Some of y'all better learn how to operate in your lane. But I'm honored uh, to have her here. She, she's, um, you know, I'm, I'm really impressed with her, uh, not just vocally and not just on stage, but off stage. And I said this in the first service and I mean it. That's saying a lot when I say I'm more impressed with her off stage because on stage she's a beast. But I'm impressed with her integrity, her character, her godliness, her humility. And uh, over the last year, we've become friends and I'm, I'm really grateful for uh, for her. And I called her in the first service prophetess or Dr. Kiara Shear, there's so much more in her than just singing, and I'm just grateful uh, that she would stop by our little old church and hang out with us today. So uh, can we thank God one more time for Kiara Shear? She hung out with us in the first service, and, and she, she needed to run. I've got to get her back. Uh, 
She has other things she has to do, so uh, she ran out, but she sends her love to you guys. Uh, listen, we're still praying for the Peralta family. Yesterday was a deep, uh, deep day for us, man. Just a, a lot of grief and a lot of hardship, a lot of pain. We were, uh, many of you served, and thank you for serving and, and really blessing this family in that way. Y'all were watching JoJo. Destiny had JoJo all day yesterday, and even during the week, you guys were serving them and washing clothes and providing meals. And um, man, it's, it's great when the body can help the body. You know, it's, it's, it's a blessing. And, and the reality is you, you never know when your time of mourning will come. You never know how you'll need the body. A lot of times we want the blessing of the body, but we don't want to contribute in making community. And so in reality, what, what we really need to do is just uh, really figure out how to best serve each other. And I've seen that this week. So grateful for all of you, uh, those of you who spoke at the funeral. Uh, Ashley, you did an amazing job. And everyone else who paid a respect and tribute to this family, uh, it meant a lot. So uh, thank you for what you do. All right, Psalm 51. I'm going to jump right in. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Do me a favor and jump down to verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God, please underline this is so important, are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. I want to preach this morning or afternoon from the topic entitled Broken. Broken. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Father, we echo the words of Samuel, Prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 3.10. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. It's in Christ's name we give all glory and honor. We all say amen. amen. Broken. One of the things I love most about our church is the laid back atmosphere that our church has. I love the fact that you can come in. The atmosphere is conducive for you to wear cut ups and bring coffee. It's just like a really relaxed atmosphere and uh, cultural relevancy is, is top priority for us. In fact, it's one of our core values. Cultural relevancy means uh, that we can fill up a room full of 20 year olds that love Jesus, but maintain relevancy while doing so. And we, I just believe as a pastor that you can be faithful to the gospel, faithful to preaching Jesus, faithful to the scriptures, and yet still have just a little Brooklyn swag when you do it. And it's something so important about that. In fact, when I look in the New Testament, I look in places like the book of Acts, and I see Paul walking around in Thessalonica, and he's looking around, and he sees a, 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 a statue of an unknown God. He says, let me tell you about that unknown God. What he was doing in that moment was he was being culturally relevant, something that they walked by all the time. He was explaining the gospel to them in a language that they could understand and I love that about our church. I pray that we would keep that. In fact, people come right in off the street and come up and are able to sit in service uh, because when they're outside, they see you and they see people that look like them. And that's a powerful way to engage people with the gospel of Christ. And I love it. But here's my fear. Can I lay my fear before you? Here's one of the fears I have as your pastor. One of the fears I have is that we would, in the name of being cool, be so cool that we lack brokenness over sin. 
this type of atmosphere is conducive for you to get in, hide your shame, hide what you're dealing with, hide the, the dysfunction behind all of the, the, the facade, the church facade that you put on. And there's a place you can come in and slip out and nobody knows the sin that you're dealing with. And today, my prayer has been all day that you would be broken. You would be broken when it comes to your sin. And, you know, many of you are more impressed with your reputation then you are repentance. And it's become very, very clear. And it's a fear of mine. In fact, the Lord has been really pressing on my heart over the last few days, because the reality is when you are broken over your sin, it ain't sexy. Bro- brokenness over sin ain't on Snapchat. That, that you ain't doing duck lip uh, p- pictures when you're broken. Because we, unfortunately, what we've done is we've matched all of the pain and trauma and sin and we've tried to present ourselves as though everything's together. And today I want to tell you everything's not together. And it's okay for you to be broken. And so we come to a passage that I am pretty aware as a preacher that this is not one of those messages that you will walk home and say, that was amazing. No, this is one of those that actually cuts you to your heart. And many church growth specialists will say, this is not how you grow a church. Don't preach that. You got, I came for Kiara Sheard. I did not come to hear you talk about my sin. But in reality, what, what you need and what I think she would even desire is for you to deal with your dysfunction and deal with your sin. And the way you do that is through being broken. And we come to a passage where King David is dealing with his sin. And the question I have on the table Early on is if King David can deal with his sin through brokenness, why do you hide yours? Why do you walk around as though everything is okay? But King David in our passage, he's repenting to the Lord and he's doing so in a way that brings him to a place of restoration. Please understand that brokenness should always lead to restoration. Brokenness should not lead to despair. Brokenness always leads you to the feet of Jesus Christ. And I love this passage because David provides us with a perfect model of what brokenness over sin looks like. Can I lay a foundation? Let me preach a little bit of Bible. One day, David was walking on the roof of his house, and like Tweet, he looked over to the left, (laughs) but he didn't see a reflection of himself. He saw a woman bathing on her roof. And as he saw this woman, he was overwhelmed with an unhealthy desire for her. And he, he went and acquired about her and found out about her and then found out that the same woman that was bathing on her roof was actually a married woman. Unwavered in his attraction to her, he summons her to his chambers. She gets to the chamber and those chambers. And those of you who have any background in church, you know the story. He ends up sleeping with Bathsheba. And after he sleeps with Bathsheba. Bible says that she goes home and a few months later, he he hears two words that he does not want to hear. I'm pregnant. And when he hears these words, I'm pregnant, he immediately starts to try to cover up sin. How many know that whenever you cover up sin, you actually make it worse? He tries to cover it up because what happens when you try to cover up sin is you have to cover up what you covered up and then cover up what you covered up. And then and then after a while, you are caught up in a web of lies. So the Bible says that after he finds out that Bathsheba's pregnant, he finds her husband, which is dope because he's on the battlefield fighting for King David. He gets Uriah home and a few days home with a loving wife, and he would conclude that the baby is his. But Uriah is so dedicated and so loyal to King David that he never sleeps at home. He sleeps at the king's doorstep. And King David 
in an attempt to further cover the sin, decided, I know what I'm going to do. Because he won't go home and sleep with his wife, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send him back on the battlefield. But this time I'm going to send him back on the battlefield with a note. Y'all stand with me. The note that he sends back to the general Joab is his death sentence. The note literally said, put Uriah on the front line and in the heat of battle, retreat back so that he would die. And that is exactly what happens. And King David will look like a, 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 a sympathetic king by marrying a grieving widow. You would think that he would got, a, got away with it. But ooh, just get to Second Samuel chapter 12. In Second Samuel chapter 12, the Bible says that a man by the name of Nathan comes to him. Anybody know Bible in here? Let, let me read what Nathan does because Nathan, Nathan is a little tricky. What Nathan does is he doesn't just come right out and say, you dead wrong. What, what he does is he gives him a story. And in the story, he says this. And the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in the city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb which he had bought and he went up and he grew up with him and, uh, and his children. He used to eat the morsel and drink the cup uh, and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Verse four. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd and prepare it for the guests whom had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come. Watch David's response. Then King David was angered and greatly kindled against the man and said, Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. I know Nathan was sitting there like, you a fool. You didn't you didn't get I'm talking about you yet. And after he says this, the Bible says that Nathan looks at him in verse six and says, you are the man. We all need a Nathan in our life. You, you, you got to understand some of y'all go to people when you're in sin that will agree with you in your sin. But you need to go to somebody that when you go to them about your sin, they will say, you're whack. You, you still sleeping with her? Bro, you whack. You, you still having oral sex and calling it not sex? You're whack. You, you still up at three o'clock in the morning with your laptop? You are whack. How many are grateful for Nathan in your life? And, and here's the reality. The reality is cool churches are filled with just Davids that hide sin. But healthy churches have prophets called Nathan. And all of us in this room, if you don't have a Nathan, if you don't have somebody in your life that can check you and not care that you're offended, check you and not care about your title, not care about your position, not care about your degree, not care about where you work. This is King David. He could get killed for this. But yet he trusts the Lord and he's bold enough to go to the king and say, listen, you are the man in the story that I just said. And so. The Bible says that this displeased what David did displeased God. And you now get Psalm 51. Don't miss this because of a second Samuel 12. If Nathan doesn't go to David, you don't get Psalm 51. We get the, the, the beauty of seeing what brokenness looks like because a man named Nathan goes to David. And so what we're going to do here is we're just going to walk through. Let me get back to my passage. We're going to walk through Psalm 51. And see just a couple of things. I can't walk through the whole passage. I just don't have time for it. The subscription above the text literally says to the choir master of David, when Nathan, the prophet, went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So we get Psalm 51 based on the sin that he just committed. 
Watch it. Watch how he shows us the foundation of what brokenness looks like. Verse one. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant. Here it is again. Mercy and blot out my transgressions. Don't miss the two words that he uses in verse one. He uses it back to back. He says, mercy, O God. Mercy, O God, when whenever David is caught red handed with his hand in the cookie jar, he does not appeal to merit. He does not appeal to behavior. He's not in the moment going, God, I know I messed up here, but did you see how faithful I was to you yesterday? Did did you see how how consistent I was the day before? Did you see me read my scriptures the day before? And did he did not point to all of the good that he does? He says, mercy, O God, is what I am in the need of. And I don't know how you came in here today, but I can promise you don't appeal to justice, the law, merit, achievement. When you were wrong, plead for mercy. Because you got to understand something. David understood that in this moment, he actually should be dead. Because even he said when Nathan confronted him, the man who did this deserves to die. So David understands that he needed to die for the sin that he just committed. But God is so gracious and merciful that he's still alive. And so he says, thank you for your mercy. Oh, God, have mercy on me. And you're not shouting right now because you're not thinking back to your sins. You got to understand that you should have been cut off. You got to understand that you should not be alive this morning. That decision that you made that was unhealthy and dysfunctional, God should have cut your butt off. And the fact that you're sitting in there this morning singing and shouting and praising God is nothing but God's mercy. The foundation of brokenness is realizing that you need mercy because when you realize you need mercy, you realize that you were dead wrong. You realize you own up to the sin. And so the Bible says that he pleads for mercy. I'll never forget when I was in high school and a few friends of mine, this is pre salvation. This is before I met Jesus. So don't judge me on it. A few friends and I went to a Jamaican club in Jersey. It was called the Redwood. Now, now I'm not condoning. I'm not asking you to do this or try this out. But if you've never been to a Jamaican club, they just know what they're doing. I'm in the Jamaican club. We finally get in. My friend knew uh, one of the bouncers and he lets us all in underage. And uh, I, I get somebody to buy us drinks. And so I'm drinking Jamaican rum. And, you know, this is when Shaba Ranks just dropped uh, Mr. Loverman. I'm sitting in the club like this. You know, it's good when you're going backwards. I'm like that. And. Out of nowhere, somebody across the club steps on somebody else's shoes. He pulls out a gun and starts shooting in the club. Now, my reaction was I ran to the corner with my 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 rum. I ran to the corner and I did not say, God, remember what I did yesterday? I said, God, I need your mercy right now. Has God ever put you there where you couldn't appeal to anything else but mercy? Where God pulled all the other distractions away, where God pulled all the other excuses away and you are left with your sin, but it doesn't lead you to shame. You say, God, I need your merciful. I'm grateful that we serve a merciful and a wonderful savior. I don't know if you are, but I'm grateful that we serve a God that decided to look down and look at my faults and say, I know they're dysfunctional, but I'm going to give them mercy and give them another chance. In fact, I'm going to do it so, so, so packaged so well, I'm going to send my son mercy. Mercy is what God gives us. And so in this passage, he starts out saying twice mercy. What David does here is he acknowledges 
that it's his sin. In fact, look at the personal pronouns that's used in verse one and verse two. Just pick it up with me. Have mercy on who? Me. He, at the end of it, he says, blot out my transgressions. Verse two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He says, it's my iniquity, my sin. I'm the one wrong. And this is important for us. You got to understand something. If you're going to be broken, you got to own your sin. You, 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 you got to know that you are the man in the story. If, if you're going to, if you're, what we do is we rationalize sin. We make excuses for sin. We spin the story. We shift the blame. Have y'all ever did that where you were the one wrong, but you blamed somebody else because you didn't want to be in conviction alone. You needed somebody else to share in the conviction. David doesn't do that. David's not saying, God, I know I'm wrong, but look at Bathsheba. Why she on that roof looking all good with that water on her body? He's not doing that. He's not blamed. I I felt Martin right there. Water glistening all over your body. I felt it come. I have no clue where that came from, but I felt it. He's not blaming Uriah. He's not saying, God, why is the husband not home covering his wife? He knows men like me ain't got no self-control. He says, it's my sin. It's my transgression. It's my iniquity. And if you want to experience being broken, which really is spiritual maturity, you need to understand that it's your sin. That is you. You're you're the sinner. You're, You're the guilty one. Nobody else. Her skirt wasn't too short. It was you, bruh. His abs weren't looking nice. It was you, my sis. And so if we're going to understand what, con- what, what brokenness looked like, we have to understand that we cannot weaken our confession by minimizing our responsibility. It's you. It's you. Like you came here this afternoon, not for Kiara. You actually came here to hear me to tell you that you're the man. You got to understand that David was in denial for a long time. Like it took it took a while for David to get here. How do I know that? Because even when Nathan confronted him, he was like, whoever did that should deserves to die, like oblivious that it was him in the story. And many of you came in today and that's where you are. You haven't accepted it yet. You haven't set in the fact that it's your sin yet. But I'm grateful that you're here. And I love you enough to tell you that it's you. I love you enough to tell you that you are the one that is dead wrong. And so, so he says here in. Verse one and two, it's my sin. It's my transgression. I actually thought verse two would read differently. I thought, see, verse two, he says, wash me. (laughs) Look at what he says. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I literally thought verse two, after owning your sin, I thought verse two would read that God removed the consequence. Okay, stay with me. When Nathan confronts him at the end of the chapter in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan says to him, because you uh, discorn the Lord, what's going to happen to you is your son's going to die. You would think he would say, "Okay, it's me. I messed up. Here's verse two. Please save my child. But he doesn't he doesn't talk about the consequence of the sin when he wants something removed. He doesn't want the consequence removed. He wants the sin removed. See, that's our problem. The reason we're spiritually immature is because you're more interested in having the consequence removed and not the sin itself. You got to understand that, that, the, that the sin itself is the virus. But what you're trying to do is clean up the virus by wiping the snot. That doesn't clear up the virus. You, you just keep running and you keep running and it's green and you are sick. And at the end of the day, what you need to do is get to the virus. It's the sin. 
So he says, listen, this is what I need you to do, God. I, I need you to wash me thoroughly and I need you to, to, to blot out my transgressions. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. Nowhere in here does he say, in fact, nowhere in Psalm 51 does he say, God, remove the punishment. Because the Bible often distinguishes or dif- uh, differentiates between two different types of repentance. One repentance is real repentance. It's called contrition repentance. Somebody say contrition. Contrition repentance is Psalm 51. It's real like you are broken over your sin. Then there's something called attrition repentance. Somebody say attrition repentance. Attrition repentance is different. It's yes, you are saying sorry, but you're not saying sorry because you're broken over the sin. You are actually saying sorry because you are dreading punishment. Kids do this. Kids be like, I'm sorry I took the toy, but they're not sorry they took the toy. They're sorry that there's punishment behind taking the toy. And my, my deepest fear for some of you is that you aren't, you aren't concerned with the sin. You're just upset because you got caught. You're, you're, you're just upset that God actually has to deal with you. But what you need is brokenness. And brokenness can only happen when you understand that it's your sin, but you also hate the sin more than you hate the consequence. See, we hate the consequence, but we ne- we always saying, God, remove it. I know I'm wrong. Remove it. But at the end of the day, some of you, the consequence actually needs to remain because God needs to work on you. I don't know about you, but I hate my sin. I do. I, I hate my sin. The reason I don't cheat on my wife is not because I'm afraid of her. I don't cheat on my wife because I hate my sin and because I'm afraid of her. <laughs> I'm just I'm gonna just be honest with y'all. Well, one time I was texting my boy. And I guess I was laughing too hard. She was like, what you laughing at? What you kikiing about over there? I had to show her the text. and said, baby, we good. We good. Uh, a little fear. They say confession is, 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 is good for the soul, but I'll say it's bad for the reputation. I know y'all side-eyeing me. I'm afraid of my wife. And so in this text, see, y'all husbands ain't say enough. You're, to save your marriage, you have a little bit of fear for your wife. And so in, in the text... David's not concerned about the consequence. Yes, he doesn't want his child to die, but even greater than that, he doesn't want the sin to live. Anybody in this room used to really enjoy a sin and now you hate it? Anybody that smoked weed, but, but now you'd hate the smell of weed? Oh, y'all still smoking weed? Because y'all ain't say nothing. I'm just, I want to check real quick. We good? Y'all got real quiet. That was weird. Anybody, anybody ever looked at somebody in a relationship that you used to be in a relationship with and, and it was a sinful relationship? And now, and now that you look back, you are glad God pulled you out of that? Let me talk to this side. Anybody, any, anybody ever been scrolling on Facebook and you see somebody used to be a sin with and you jump into a praise break that you ain't married them? Hey, you doing all this? I don't know about y'all, but I'm glad that God makes me hate stuff I used to love. And the reality is my my prayer for you this morning was that you would hate sin the way God hates it. That you do realize that God doesn't tolerate sin. Bible tells us that he's holy and he dwells in unapproachable lights and he does not want any sin in his life. And some of you are engulfed in sin and you're calling it you're you're acting like it's okay, And God is like, no, it's it's not okay. Stop being cool. Take off the cut ups in the, in the coffee and coming in and slipping out. No, you need to deal 
with your sin and you need to deal with it by hating. And so verse number one, he pleads for mercy. I'm running out of time. Verse two and verse one, he owns up to the sin. He asks God to wash him. But watch what happens here in verse two and verse three. He says, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. I love this because what he does is he he acknowledges that it is his sin and he acknowledges that it's sin in and of itself. Okay, here's why that's important. Because many of you are operating in my fears that you don't even know it's sin. I told you a few weeks ago, the longer you desire a particular sin, the more you stop calling it sin. That's just how I am. The, the culture says it's acceptable. The, the church is behind the time. No, the church ain't behind the time. You're just in sin and you're trying to justify it. But I love David because David says, my sin is before me. I know my sin. I know some of y'all want to blot out those, those sinful things that you've done, but it's important that you keep it up in front of you. So you re- and, and this is Bible. You got to understand, for you not to know that you're in sin ain't grace, is judgment. For you to operate in sin and not even realize that it's sin is God pronouncing wrath over you. I got to put some Bible here because y'all looking at me like I'm not in the text. Romans chapter one, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their heart and to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves. God says, if you want the sin, go ahead and have it. So you got to understand that God is so big that to knock you down, he doesn't have to punch you to knock you down. He just got to let you go. And for some of you in this room, you are getting closer and closer to God saying, go ahead and go ahead and have that sin. You enjoy that more than you enjoy me. It's temporary, but go ahead and have that sin in my prayer this morning. I got up at six o'clock. That, that's a lie. Six twenty because I hit the snooze twice. But I got up and I prayed that your sin would be ever before you. Pray that you would know that you're in sin. I pray that the brokenness, it would start with you understanding that it's not okay. It's not okay for you to rationalize it, make excuses. It's not okay for you to operate and not know it's sin. Nah, you're, you're in sin. Verse number three, he says, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Verse 16, he says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would have given it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Verse 16 and the top of verse 17 lets me know that God doesn't care about your religion. He wants brokenness. He says, I don't want any burnt offerings. I don't want any sacrifices right now. I want you cut to your heart. And some of you in here have tried to over spiritualize your sin. As long as I show up this morning to church, me and God are cool. I just got to get to the communion. If I could take communion, I'm good as though the symbol actually washes away your sin. The symbol doesn't. Jesus does. If I can just get baptized, then we good. If I could just serve in, in, in a ministry, if I could just give towards the building campaign, please keep giving towards the building campaign. But, but God is much more interested. Listen, I would rather you not give a dime and be broken. You hear me? That, that is my pastoral heart for our church. That we would be broken over our sin, not just cool. And so he says a broken and a contrite heart. You got to understand in the original language, uh, which is Hebrew, the original language here uh, for Psalm 51, broken and contrite literally means crushed and broken to pieces. 
See, what we are, many of you will say sorry, but you're not broken to pieces. What, what, does, what does real repentance look like in our lives? And here's the reality. If you want to know how God feels about your sin, look no further than the cross. When I was a kid, man, I was growing up, I used to often think to myself, like, God, why did Jesus have to die such a grueling death? Why didn't you just behead him? Like, you know, if Jesus was beheaded, it would accomplish the same thing. I can still preach to you that Jesus died for my sin if he was beheaded. But God is like, no, 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 no. I'm going to make my son suffer. I'm going to I'm going to have somebody pull out the beard of his face. I'm going to put a blindfold around him and strike him in the face and say, prophesy to us, which one of us struck you? He's going to get beat with a cattle nine tails, having the flesh on his body ripped to shreds to where his organs and bones are exposed. I need to do that because if I just behead him, you will think I'm cool with sin. I need to show you how gross it is. The picture of Jesus that is the most famous picture is of one of him bloody and bruised and broken because that is how God feels about your sin. God did God like he, you didn't come this morning for me to pat you on the back and say, it's OK. Good job. No, you you came this morning for me to say you're you, you're you're insane. You need to be broken on the cross of Jesus Christ. He took on all of our sins, so therefore you don't have to walk around in shame because of what you've done. Because Jesus Christ has absorbed your shame. He's absorbed the sin. He's absorbed the dysfunction. But why in the world do we live life, even though Jesus died for our sin, why do we live life as though he did not? You're stuck in a cycle of sin. And I wish I could have preached something more upbeat. But here's what we need, brokenness. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Broken in a contrite heart, you will not despise. Many of you are camouflaging your sin. You've got comfortable with being a lukewarm Christian. Where you look spiritual on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's a different you. My prayer is that you would break our hearts, Lord.